0: back. Well, are you guys ready for the uh Super Bowl tonight? Anybody? Hmm. Yeah? No. No, no one's excited to see the Patriots win another one, right? <laughs> Nobody. All right. Um yeah, I uh I I'll be watching but uh not super pumped about it, that's for sure. Uh this morning we're going to be starting a brand new series called Exiles Live Different and uh, for the next few weeks we're going to be going through the book of 1st Peter. Now, I'll be honest and this is going to make me sound horrible, but just Stick with me here. Uh, when I heard that we were going through First Peter, and especially that I was going to be starting this thing off, um, you know, I'm like, First Peter, you know, that's five little chapters hidden in the back of the New Testament somewhere. You know, I'm like, I don't remember the last time I heard a sermon on First Peter. I've been, I've been a pastor for 10 years. I don't remember the last time I spoke on First Peter myself. I don't remember the last time that I personally read First Peter, all right? And, uh, and as I sat there this week, I opened up my Bible. You know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, why aren't we doing something like one of Paul's letters, like Romans, you know, tons of stuff, or Ephesians, Galatians, or the Gospels, or something super practical like James. And as I opened up my Bible and I started reading this week, I was reminded about how jam-packed 1 Peter is of God's wisdom that's so relevant to the lives that we live today. And so uh, that's what we're going to be looking at for the next few days. We probably should be doing a series on First Peter more often. Um, just the Bible's just so packed with stuff. And uh, this morning what I want to do is I want to introduce the book to you to kind of set up the rest of the series. We're going to go through um, the first few verses because there's so much in it. And, uh, and I want you to kind of keep in mind, we'll talk about some background stuff of what, what was going on during this time period. But uh, I want you to keep in mind some of this stuff as we go throughout the rest of the series. Make sense? All right, keep it in the background. All right, okay, cool. Um, the, uh, who, who was the author of 1 Pe- of Peter? Peter. Yeah, Bible keeps it easy for us that way. Um, that's nice. Uh, Peter was one of Jesus' disciples that... We all seem to like, right? As you read through the Gospels, you're thinking to yourself, you're like, all right, this guy, all right, this guy. We, we, There's something about Peter that we seem to identify with. Um, he's a normal guy. He had a big mouth. He said a lot of stupid things. If you read through some of that stuff, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't real churchy. I think that's something that we kind of find refreshing sometimes. And, uh, and, and as he's writing this letter... He writes this letter as a normal guy, writing to a normal group of people, especially people who are going through suffering in their life. And that's kind of the whole theme of the book. And later on, in the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some ways to deal with suffering because that's, that's the major theme uh, throughout, throughout the letter. Now, fair warning, um, I'll be honest with you, I don't have any catchy poem or tune or rhyme going on this morning, that's not my style, Um, I'll be honest with you, I don't have four major points like Tim that uh, all perfectly go together, that's super long, you know, I don't have any of that, like uh, Tim or Kevin, Uh, what we're going to do this morning is we're just going to start in the first verse and we're just going to go until we run out of time, does that make sense, you guys good, okay, Um, let's begin in verse 1. Uh, the, uh, let me just throw out one disclaimer before we read this, and that is this, this letter is written towards believers. It's written to believers. That's, that's, that's who uh, Peter is writing to, and so as, you are, as you're reading this, we need to keep that in mind. Now, I know that not everybody in the room this size... Uh, would be included in that. Not everybody in this room has started a personal relationship with Jesus and has thrown everything into that basket. And so I just want to say, you know, if that's you out there and you don't quite understand um, where you're at or what you believe, you're just kind of checking this thing out and not 100% sure on this whole God thing, let me just say this letter isn't necessarily written to you yet. Hopefully yet. And so we got to keep that in mind as we, uh, as, as we read through this. And so we'll go ahead and start in verse 1. That's what it says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours. In the fullest measure. And so this letter, Peter starts us off. And, uh, and, and he, he starts off saying, hey, this letter. You know, first he says, hey, this is from Peter. And this is to those who reside as aliens. Or those who are, who are exiles. Right? And, and when he's talking about this, he's not talking about like ah, people from outer space. Or people from some other country coming in. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking to the church. All right, he's talking to people who do not belong. And what he's doing is he's reminding you, he's saying, hey, you live in a world that you do not belong to, Christians. He's saying you are exiles in this world. That's why we named the series Exiles. is because that's who we are. Grace Community Church in Fremont, Ohio, this day, those of us who truly have that relationship with God, we are exiles, right, in this world. That's who we are. This is not our home we're supposed to be different it's almost like we're kind of odd right we're odd because we live our lives by a whole other set of values now let me just point something else uh, something out real quick this oddness that we have isn't supposed to be because of uh our personality all right some of you some of you I've met all right and uh you are odd because of that okay (laughs) we all know people who are odd right um That's not what Peter's talking about. See, we're not odd because we make our own Christian subculture either. A lot of us, that's what we do. We shut the world out and we say, "Hey, you know that world is bad," and and which it is. But you know, we just we don't want to talk to anybody else of the world. We just want to talk to our family, our Christian family, our Christian friends, and we start listen. We listen to the same Christian music. We say the same Christian words. All right, that's not what Paul's talking about. We live inside this Christian bubble. See, not Paul, Peter. See. Paul's on my mind. See, Peter is not saying that you're different because you dress differently or you have some special words. Peter's saying you're odd because you're chosen. That's what he says. He says, You who live as aliens or exiles, who are chosen? Now, what do you think about when you hear the word chosen? All right, what comes to mind? For me, it's got to be middle school gym class. We've all been there, right, where you get in the class and the teacher, right, separate. Uh, the teacher picks out two team captains, and then the rest of us, you know, we're just the prospects out on the field. You know, you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah, we've been there before. And some of you guys live for this. This is like a thing. Can't wait for, you can't wait for gym class because, because this is what you were made for. Because you know you're, you're a first or second round draft pick, all right? <laughs> You know, you know you're going to get picked. You're the athlete. You have it going on. You know that actually you're upset because the teacher didn't pick you as the team captain. You want to be in charge. But it's all right because the team captain, he's your boy and he's going to pick you anyway. All right. That's what, that's some of you. But then there's the rest of us, right? Some of you guys still are in counseling because of this. Because you're sitting there, or you're standing there, you're waiting. Everybody starts getting chosen, one after another after another. And the field keeps narrowing. And at the end, you're just like, you know, please pick. Oh, he didn't pick. You know what I'm talking about? And then it's just you, and, and, and there's always the last person. There's just you and the trash can left. And in some desperate moment of weakness, the team captain says, I'll take the human. <laughs> you get chosen. All right that really continues in our life right? I mean we're chosen for dates, chosen for college, we're chosen for marriage. We are chosen for a job, we're chosen for a promotion at work. It's a part of our life. And then so many times we feel like we are not chosen. And that's where Peter begins his letters. He's saying, "Hey, you guys are exiles. You guys don't belong here, but you're chosen." It's a very unique situation. In verse 3, he goes on. It's actually a very long sentence that lasts several verses. Um, This is what he says. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you understand what I mean by these verses are packed full of stuff? It's just like I'm going through. I'm like I could do a whole series on verse three through five. All right, but we're not going to do that today. But. Uh, but, I mean, this is, this is just packed full. Peter, what he's doing is he starts off reminding them of the mercy of God in their lives. Now, that's something I feel like we, as, especially as Christians, I mean, we as people anyway, um, that's something we overlook a lot. God's mercy. See, what we do is we look at suffering in our, in our lives. Okay, we look at ourselves, we're like, okay, I got some suffering in our lives. And uh, we look at ourselves, we're like, we, we, we think, hey, I'm a good person, And so what's happening to me is not fair. I'm good. And this bad thing's in my life, and that is not fair because I'm good. And what we start doing is, is, is we, we think to ourselves like, hey, you know, I'm trying to be the best person I can. In general, like, you know, I know a lot of people that aren't as good as me. Like, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to do what God wants me to do, and I try my best. We say that a lot, but none of us actually ever try our best. We try our best, and we think to ourselves what happening is not fair. And then we all look at other people around in our lives we're like, hey, you know, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. Or at least I'm not as bad as her. Like, I never did what she's done. See, that's what religion teaches us. And the Bible is completely against religion. See, religion says, hey, I'm good, so God owes me. And the gospel is, hey, I am evil. I am beyond evil. But God is merciful. Therefore, I owe God. And because of God's mercy... He says we have this little thing called hope. All right, not just any hope. He says living hope, all right? We have this thing called living hope. And he's saying that this hope that we have isn't something like, it's not dead, all right? It's not dead hope. We've seen that before, especially with pain and suffering. We've seen people in our lives that we've looked at and we're like, okay, they've lost hope because something bad has happened in their life. Now, Peter, he knew a lot about losing hope. I mean, he knew uh, maybe more about losing hope than anyone. He followed this Jesus guy around for years, and he was Jesus' kind of right-hand man. He, the Bible tells us he was in the inner three people that Jesus really hung out with, and uh, he was ready for Jesus to become king. Jesus was supposed to come become king, and he was the Messiah that they had all been waiting for for, for thousands of years, and he was going to rise up, become king of Israel, overthrow Rome, and they were going to be free again, and this was going to be great, and, and Peter's... He, you know, he's pumped for this. And even the night of Jesus' arrest, this is what Peter says. He says, Lord, he's talking to Jesus in front of all the other disciples. He says, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you. And, and if that's not enough, he says, and even die with you. See, Peter was pumped. I mean, he was ready to do anything for Jesus. He had hope. He had left, he had left everything, his job, his home, right, his way of life. But then just a few short hours later, he was denying that he even knew Jesus to a little servant girl. And then he denies knowing Jesus to another person. Then he denies knowing Jesus to another man within, within an hour. And he ends up running away crying. Why? He's ashamed, but he also lost hope. And then Jesus dies, crucified brutally on a cross And for Peter, this wasn't part of the plan. This wasn't supposed to happen. All right, this isn't how it was supposed to go. This is not part of the plan that Peter had in his mind. See, he didn't understand God's plan, and we are the same way in our own lives. See, things in our lives don't work out the way that we plan. They don't work out the way that we want to. And what do we do? Our tendency is that we lose hope. And we cry out to God and we say, God, this is not fair. I'm a good person. This is not fair. And what we do is we forget that God has chosen us through his mercy. And now we have hope. And again, Peter's saying, hey, this hope isn't something that just dies away. It's alive. It's active. It's part of who we are. It's something that we always have with us, those of us that have that relationship with God. And and to be honest, really, um, what I feel like separates uh, the people of God and the people of the, the, this world around us most distinctly, distinctly, distinctively is how we respond to disappointment and pain and suffering in our lives. How do we respond? How we have hope even when life's not good for us. And because of this hope, Peter goes on in the next verse and he explains our reaction to hope. In verse 6, he says in this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while if necessary you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the re- at the revelation of Jesus Christ and though you have not seen him you love him and though you do not see him now But believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation for your souls. You get what our reaction is? What's our reaction to hope? It's this thing called joy. And that's what Peter's saying, he says, it's, it's joy. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. And he says, believe in him, you greatly rejoice. And then he says it again, he says, inexpressible joy. He's like, your reaction to hope, we have this hope within us. And so our reaction is joy, 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 joy it should be all throughout our lives, especially through trials, especially through pain and suffering that come into our life. Now let me say this, I 100% understand. That there are people in this room that have suffered way, 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 way more than me in life. Some of you guys have gone through some terrible, terrible, terrible things that I've never had to go through. And Peter's saying, hey, even as we're suffering, even when we can't see out the other end and it's just this dark cloud around us that just doesn't seem to quit. It just keeps going on and on and on. If we don't see an end in sight, he's like, even then, you have hope. How many of you guys have ever experienced trials in your life? All right, we've had hard t- Okay, yeah, we've all, all of us in this room. Um, last Thanksgiving, I, uh, uh, Kate and I, we packed the kids in the minivan, I know. And uh, I'm a guy with a minivan. I've sold my soul. All right, so, yeah, Kate really wanted, we, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> We have a van, so we drove, we, we were driving to Colorado for Thanksgiving, and uh, we, Kate's family lives in Chicago, so what we do now is, this is like a two-day drive to Colorado, it's like 24-something hours, and what we do now is we drive to Chicago the night before, and then we have one terrible, awful, long, miserable day from Chicago to uh, Colorado. It's about 17 hours, okay, it's terrible, it's awful. And so that's the way we do it. We say, instead of having two terrible days, we'll have one really, really, really terrible day. And so that's what we do. So we get to Kate's parents' house the next morning. We leave super early. We're making it. We're booking it to Colorado for Thanksgiving. Got the kids. Everything. Everything's good. And, uh, and we enter Nebraska. We're on the other side of Nebraska. By the way, there's nothing in the state of Nebraska. It's barren land. Okay, people talk about overpopulation. I'm like, well, people need to move to Nebraska because there's plenty of space. <laughs> All right, it's not happening in Nebraska. And uh, we're out there, there's nothing, and it's like 6 p.m., there's no, like, restaurant, there's no exits, it's just like, again, it's just unbelievably barren. And uh, we're driving, and then bam, I hit a deer. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Oh. And so I pull over, I get out. To inspect, I'm the man, you know, I'm like, okay, you stay in the vehicle, I'll take care of this. And I get out, and there's blood everywhere, the bumper's laying on the ground, and the headlights gone, you know, um, the grill's gone, the right fender's bent up, you know, it's just, it's, it's not good. And so... Um, I call, you know, call the state police, takes them forever. I'm on a time schedule here, and it takes them forever to get out there. They finally get out there, and, you know, they do the reports or whatever for insurance. And then the state police, the trooper's like, hey, just so you know, there's no towing company around here, and there's no hotel around here, so you better try to, like, limp your way to the nearest gas station, and then you get back on the road. I'm like, all right, that's what we'll do. And so we make our way slowly to a gas station. I'm dragging all this stuff. And uh, I pull in there. I don't have any tools, which is a strike two against my manhood with me. And so I go in the gas station. I buy a bunch of tools, buy a bunch of, the, like, zip ties and rope. <laughs> and I start piecing this thing together. You know, I'm, like, cutting holes in my bumper to make a hole so I can tie it to the. And I'm doing all this stuff. And I get it all, like, buttoned up. And then I'm like, let's go. Nothing's hitting the tire anymore. And so we start. We start on our way, and um, about an hour later or so, you know, I, I, it's, you know, two and a half hours after that. It's, you know, it's getting, it's like 8 or 9 o'clock. I am starving, all right? And I, I'll be honest, I get a little cranky when I'm not, when I'm hungry. And we're going, and the seatbelt has locked because apparently that's a safety thing, which is dumb, because it doesn't unlock, so I'm like driving this, I can't feel my legs anymore, I'm in like physical pain, I got this, I got this, uh, what's it called, the airbag sitting in my lap, this huge old thing, and I'm driving, right, Kate can't sit next to me because that seatbelt's locked, so she's in the back, I got uh, the van reeks of deer, I think there's like a chunk of it stuck in my car somewhere, I mean, there's hair everywhere. It smells so bad where I'm, like, gagging going down the road. I've been driving all day. I got my one-year-old is crying, and he won't stop. And then my three-year-old is singing the same song over (laughs) and over and over and over again. It's that, uh, I think it's called Baba Black Sheep. Some of you guys may know, you know, I don't know what it's called, a song, rhyme, or whatever. But it goes, he's singing one for the master, one for the Dane. I don't know what that is. And then one for the little boy who lives down the drain. That's, how he's, that's what he's singing. And I don't know what the song is, but I know that's not right. And so I'm sitting there driving. I got hours more to go. I'm starving. I've been driving all day. One's crying. One's singing the song that he's not even singing it right. And I am. There's not much joy in my van right now. You know what I mean? It is hard to have joy when you got stuff going on. In your life, when life's not going the way that you planned. See, we look at situations like these, we go, okay, yeah, bad day, not cool, right? But actually, that's not necessarily what Peter's even talking about here. See, the people that he's writing to, they, have had a, they are experiencing much, much worse. See, we experience bad things that happen in our life. Because, a lot of the times it's because something that we've done. A lot of the times it's, it's something that we can't help, but, but we're, we're making it through, but Peter, the people that Peter's writing this to, they're experiencing suffering in their life because they are Christian, because of what they believe. They have a choice to follow, follow the world or to follow God, which includes a bunch of suffering. And they choose God. At that time, there's this emperor named Nero. He's actually super well known for being a terrible, terrible, terrible guy. I mean, this guy was messed up. He, he murdered his own brother. He had a physical relationship with his mother, and then he murdered her. All right, he would poison his friends. Ancient historians tell us that he would go out at night. He would pick a house. He would break into that house. He would rape the woman, and then he would wait for the husband to get home and kill him. Disguised so no one would know who he is. That's the emperor of Rome most powerful man in all the earth. He would dress up uh, as, as an animal. He would put animal skins over him. And then he would go inside of a cage. This is how deprived his mind was. And then he would have people tied up to posts in this room all around him. His, he would have a servant let him out of the cage. And then he would go and he would maul people to death like an animal would. I mean, this guy is messed up. He was hated by the Romans, by most of them, that's for sure. Actually, most Romans blamed Emperor Nero of setting Rome on fire when they had the great fire of Rome in 64 AD, where two-thirds of Rome burned to the ground. And when this was happening, everybody was blaming the emperor He needed to find somebody to, like a scapegoat, somebody to to shift the blame on. And so he picked out this new little belief that was kind of spreading throughout the Roman Empire that, uh, that was called Christianity these people that they used to call atheists because they only believe in one God. They don't believe in all the other gods. They only believe in one God. These atheist Christians, this new way of believing, and and he picked out them, and he started rounding them up as much as he could possibly round them up and slaughtering them. He would use them as gladiators. He would use them, he he would have them torn apart by animals. He even used to dip Christians, men, women, and children, in oil, and then he would impale them on a pole set the pole in the ground and he would light them on fire alive and that's how he lit his palace gardens at night and the roads around his his palace why because they're christians because of what they believe I mean, just imagine being a parent and going through that and worrying about your children. You have to, you have to, to choose to follow God or to follow this world, and, and, Emperor, and Emperor Nero is there, and, and your children are at stake. Choosing between right and wrong. See, that's what's going on with these people. That's what these people are living through. That's what was a bad day for these guys. See, they knew what true pain and suffering was. In verse 7, he actually says, faith, even though tested by fire. We just read it. Faith, even though tested by fire. And that might not even be a metaphor. That might be literal. All because they're a Christian. Think about it. How lucky are we? Like, how lucky? Like, how grace? How much grace has God given us? How merciful is he that we don't have to go through that? By the way, there's places in this this world that still torture and kill Christians for what they believe. It's just not here with us, so we don't think about it much. We had a great Thanksgiving in Colorado. Everything was good. But uh, we had to go home in our totaled minivan. And uh, we started driving back, left super early in Colorado, trying to make it to Chicago, Chicago again. Got 17 hours of driving and um, we're making, like, good time. I'm talking, like, record time for me. So this is, this is we, less stops. We're doing, we're, we're going, we're cruising. And uh, we get about three hours away from Chicago. We just cross into the Illinois state line. And all of a sudden, this snowstorm hits. All right? This is, and, and it wasn't just it wasn't just some like nice, no, it, I mean, this was, it was like whiteout conditions. It was crazy. The, uh, the interstate was only one lane and there weren't very many cars on the road. I had to slow down to like, you know, 10, 15 miles an hour. And Kate was a little uh, worried about it. You know, Zach, we have kids, you know, we have kids and, all, and I'm like, hey, we're only going 10 miles an hour. If we go off the road, that's, you know, there's nothing. <laughs> Probably won't even feel it. Um. That's what I was comforting her with. Um, <laughs> but, so, but I'm like, we're going through. We're not staying at a hotel. We're going. We're only three hours away, although we're going super slow now. And uh, it was interesting because you're driving. It's, the road's super icy. We counted like 140-something vehicles off the road. We counted 40-something semi-trucks and a camper. And that guy deserved to go off the road because he shouldn't have been driving a camper through that. He sh- you know, it's November. Anyway, so we're driving. And... Uh, you get in, like, a little pack of cars here and there. We're like, okay, white car in front of me. Hey, we've been driving together for, like, 20 minutes. We kind of know each other, you know. Start developing relationships with these cars. And I got blue van behind me. And we're, we're going through this together. And then all of a sudden, white car. And you're like, sorry. <laughs> I can't stop because I don't know if I'll be able to get going again, you know. Um, but uh, that happens several times. You're, like, watching the car go. You're like, oh, he's, oh, man. Um. And so we're going, we're going, we're going. It's 2 a.m. in the morning. We were were supposed to get into Chicago by 10 p.m., so it was like 7 p.m. when this first started, and so I'm like, three hours, 10 p.m., we're good, and it's 2 a.m. now. We're still driving, and uh, I decided, you know what, I've had it, can't do this anymore. We're getting off. We're going to get a hotel. I'm like super tired. I've been driving for 20-something hours, you know, I'm, I'm ready to, to be done with this. And so I get off, I go to a hotel, I'm going through their parking lot, which has like eight inches of snow, and I get to the, to the hotel, I walk in, and uh, I should have known as I was walking in because the doors of the hotel, which were like the sliding doors, they wouldn't even shut because all the snow was like piled in. And so I walk into the hotel room. There's no like hotel employee in sight, okay? There's nobody, and no hotel employee in sight, but the place is packed, there's people everywhere, there's people sleeping on the couch, there's people sleeping on every chair, there's people sleeping on the floor, everybody's got these like blankets from their cars and stuff, there's dogs walking around in there, it was like a war zone, I've never seen anything like it, and someone's like, are you looking for a room, and I'm like, yeah, and they're like, We would all be in rooms if they had rooms. There's nothing here. There's nobody even here um, employee-wise. And so I'm like, all right, we'll have to keep going. So I get back out to my car, and of course, it's stuck. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I'm getting out. You know, I have to start scooping out the snow. I'm trying to get the vehicle out of the snow. It takes me about an hour. I finally get out. Uh, get it moving again we're going down the parking lot and uh, by that time a snowplow has gone by you know what I'm talking about at the road and they have those giant walls of snow that they make right anybody ever experienced that right Greg Glover back there I know he works for ODOT so if you have any complaints he's the guy you want to see but uh, that has happened and so I'm like we're just ramming this thing let's just we're getting through it and so I gas it gun it we go through of course We're not going to make it. And so half my vehicle, I'm stuck again. Half my vehicle is out in the road. Half my vehicle is in the parking lot. And so I have to walk to a gas station. And I look for the most redneck, manly guy with a big truck that I could possibly find. And I'm like, hey, that's my minivan (laughs) stuck in the snow. It's 3 a.m. Could you please pull me out? And uh, he comes over with a chain. Of course, you can't find any place to hook it onto. And, but one thing that was nice, because we hit the deer, I didn't have a grill. And so we just chained it up to, like, the engine. <laughs> and we pulled it out. And we kept going. Then we got back on the road. And we ended up getting to Chicago at 7 a.m. in the morning. And so we had been driving for, like, 26 hours. What took three hours, the last three hours, took 12. And we drove, except for my hour of digging in the snow, for basically the whole time. Now let me tell you this. As you're on your hands and knees in the snow. You know, I, I didn't have the right coat on. Didn't have the right shoes on because I wasn't expecting this. And you're at 3 a.m. And you're digging out a car. And your kids are in the car. They're crying. And let me just say this. You know, that you're, what you're asking yourself, you're like, God, why? Why me? Why is this happening to me? How is, you know, how is this going to end? But as I look at what the Christians were going through in, Paul's, er, in Peter's day, See, it's nothing compared to what they were going through. Not even close. See, Peter, that's what he's saying. He says, hey, you have been chosen because God is merciful, and now you have this thing called hope. And because of that hope, you should have joy. You should be able to experience joy. And not just through the good times in life. He says you should be experienced joy through any circumstance. This is what he says in verse 10, 11, and 12. Uh, he talks about the Old Testament prophets, which is kind of cool that he kind of connects them in here. And he's saying, hey, the Old Testament prophets, when God is telling them what to write, hey, I want you to tell the people this. I want you to write this down. He said the Old Testament qu- prophets, they had questions. They're like, what's this about? What's going on here? What does this mean? And God says, hey, it's not for you. It's for people in the future and Peter's saying hey it wasn't for them God told him it wasn't for them God said it was for you for us as believers as exiles he says even the angels long to understand I mean isn't that kind of cool to think about like what we're going through and how all this works even the angels are like all right this does I don't fully understand this. Like, how is this working? I mean, think about it. We, I mean, does this make sense? We go through trials and we demand answers. And we say, God, why me? God, why is this happening at this point? God, where are you at? And some of us, we even, we even question, well, first of all, we question God's goodness. God, how could you be a good God and allow this in my life? And then some of us, we question his existence. And we say, God, are you even there? Do you even exist? And we demand answers from God. And I'm not saying it's not wrong to have questions. It's okay to have questions. I have a lot of questions for God, especially about the gospel. And when I say gospel, that's just the news of what Jesus has done for us on the cross 2,000 years ago because I look at the cross and I see a cross that should have been mine and I see a punishment that I deserved, and, but God took it upon himself for some reason. I don't know why. I question that. And even if God would be able to explain it to me why he did that, I wouldn't be able to understand because I'm not smart enough. Because my brain couldn't hold it. See, we look at this stuff and the mystery of what Jesus has done for us, and it should blow our minds if we actually think about it. The Old Testament prophets are going, I don't understand this. Even the angels don't fully get it. And here we are demanding an explanation when life doesn't go our way. See, God doesn't always give us an explanation, but he always gives us Revelation. He gives us this. He gives us his word. He gives us the Bible and the gospel. And he says, hey, you want to know who I am? You want answers? You may not get the answers necessarily that you're looking for. You may not get an explanation of why you're going through this certain thing. But you will get answers. Look into this. Look into the word that I've given you. Base your understanding of me on what I revealed about myself on the cross. That's what Peter's reminding us. See, trials and pain, they reveal where our hope is. Trials and pain reveal where our hope lies, where our hope comes from. And Peter, he ends up living this out. Because just in a few short years, Nero catches Peter and he nails Peter to his own cross and crucifies him. Nero's the one who kills Paul as well. I mean, these guys are living this out. And the people that he's writing to, the exiles who are like us, who we belong to, I mean, they risked their lives to share the gospel, to spread the word, even though it cost them their lives. It cost them everything so that we could sit here today. Today. So what Peter's trying to remind us is he's saying, Hey, you have been chosen. Because God is merciful. And now we have hope. And because of that hope, our lives should have joy. And that's something that I want us to remember as we walk outside these doors, we drive home. Tomorrow we start our work week, you know, again, like we did last week, like we did the week before which is kind of getting this rhythm, So I think sometimes we just need to kind of take a step back and look at ourselves and say, hey, you know, do people see joy in my life? Is there any evidence of that hope that Peter's promising us here? Is that evidence, is that reaction joy? Is that there? Because if it's not, that's a problem. Right, that means we're putting our hope into the wrong thing. See, our lives... People should be able to look at our lives and see joy. And so, as we go throughout the rest of the series, I want you to remember: you have been chosen because God is merciful, and because of that, we have hope. And because of hope, we can have joy, even when life doesn't go the way that we want. Let's pray. God, we we thank you. For these words that you have given us. God, we thanks, we thank you for for, Peter, we thank you for loving us. You, you don't have to. We don't even understand why. I don't know why you love us, but you do and you care for us. God, we thank you for that. God, we ask that we would all in this room put our hope into you. God, you thank you. We thank you for choosing us. We thank you for being so Merciful, more merciful than we could ever understand. We thank you for giving us the ability to truly experience true joy. God, help people around us to be able to see that joy in our life. Grow our relationship with you in that way this week. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.